yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, again, transition-wise, as, as a police officer, you kind of look at threat and risk and think this is what we need to mitigate that. Um, when you work in the private sector, somebody says, that's your budget, that's how I want it to be done. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Transitioning from the police to the private sector in executive protection. Uh, today, Sean West and myself, we're going to be talking with Scott Hamer, recently moved from the Royalty and Specialist Protection uh, Division of the Met Police all the way to the private sector. So very much in transition. And uh, and, and I think this uh, element of one's career will resonate with a lot of people, even if they haven't actually worked in uh, the police, uh, Sean. What, where do you think we can go with today's session? No, I, I totally agree. I mean, anyone from that background, you know, who's worked at such a high level, you know, in royalty protection, police protection, it's always, you know, fascinating to hear their story, what they've done in the past um, and how they're making the transition into the private sector. You know, that there's so much we can all learn from what he's done, what he's experienced, the lessons he's learned and, you know, and what he brings to the table. Um, so I think it's going to be good to hear about the transition how he's felt the transition's gone from police to private sector, the lessons he's learned, and you know what lessons he can give to people who are already serving within the sector. And, and for me, this ties in nicely with a previous uh, episode from season one of the Serga Magazine podcast with uh, Carlos Francisco, the corporate security translator, um, because because I think this plays out across the world. Um, this this element of you know being in a big superstructure organization and then being on your own, you know the element of having a lot of resources and then not having a lot of uh, authority and then maybe not uh, I, I, I wonder does that does that play out in in a lot of people's minds uh, moving from the police or the military to you know uh, I wouldn't say a smaller organization but to the private sector you know in, in the military or police you, you will have lots of resources that you can call upon and I think it's just an adjustment of expectation and you have to realize you don't have the big organisations to fall upon. And, it, and it's, it's a lesson I learned pretty quickly when I got into the sector, um, when I first transitioned from the military into the private sector, I went out to hostile environments. And sadly, I was in an incident where, where someone lost their life. And in the military, when these incidents happen, you know, you had a big organisation to call upon. But when you're in the private sector, it, it was you know, completely different than the story where, you know, we had American support from the American military and, and we had an American individual there who got injured during this incident who they took away, but sadly the person had lost their life. They said, he's not with us. This is your responsibility. And we had to unfortunately take care of ourselves and take, take the guy back. Unfortunately, back into the camp ourselves within our own vehicles, within our own convoy. And it was just a short, short, sharp lesson that I learned that, wow, we really are on our own now. We don't have this big backup and support, which we once previously did. And um, it, it can be a shock to the system if you're working in a hostile sector, um, for sure. 
Uh, but not so much private sector, but you, you definitely don't, you know, you haven't got them same resources. You have to make your resources go further and, you know, position people correctly, get the right caliber of guy or girl. You just haven't got the endless resources. You have to be more thoughtful, um, a bit more strategic, I think, in how you, how you carry out the function of executive protection. Well, that paints quite a broad spectrum, of course, because there would be people now in the private sector in the hostile, uh, in the hot zones, and people in you know, more sanguine uh, sort of environments, and then people somewhere in between working uh, big events uh, like uh, Scott at the moment. So let's hear from Scott then, and let's, uh, you know, take a snapshot of his transition as it's going on. And, and I'm sure it will resonate with a lot of the audience, um, even if they've never worked in the police. Uh, so this is Scott Hamer and transitioning from the police to the private sector EP world. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Today, we're talking transitioning from the police to the private sector. And, Sean West and myself, we are delighted to welcome Scott Hamer, former Royalty and Specialist Protection uh, professional who is on that very journey. Uh, Scott, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? Good morning to you both. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here as well. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, let's get into it because, of course, there's lots to explore. You've got an illustrious career, but but, but let's tackle this topic. Transitioning from the police to the private sector, you're in the middle of it, but what's the biggest challenge or sort of problem as, as you see it now? Um, oh, well, I, I suppose, I mean, for me, the transition might have been a little bit easier because even though I was a serving police officer and, and you know, involved in close protection, for a period of time, I did have my, have my own company. Um, so I have seen a little bit of the private sector beforehand and um, I think for me some of the things that you know myself and other colleagues have faced in the past is kind of depleasing your CV that's probably one of the most important things that somebody told me and there's a lot of courses that you can do within the police um, a lot of experience a lot of training but you need to you know change the uh, the wording change the parlance so this is it's understood in the private sector that's probably one thing and then the other thing, uh, and this is my view, um, you know, certainly as a police officer, when you've done 30 years, you know, you rely, um, you retire and you can rely on a, a good pension. And, you know, maybe there's some reluctance from the private sector to employ you because they think that you're just topping up your pension or that you might not be serious enough. Um, so that's one of the things that I think I've, I've come across and certainly other people have. Um, you know, and, and that's true. I mean, I've worked with a lot of police officers over the years. There's, there's some that work incredibly hard um, and there's some that hardly work. And, you know, unfortunately, I know some of, of my colleagues have been employed in positions in the past when they might not have been the hardest of workers. And, and sometimes that gets a, a bad reputation for those that are retiring from the police. I don't know if uh, oh. you, know, you, can, you can verify any of those stories. No, I don't know. You know, obviously, I, I have no opinion. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what, what about you? Where, where does your passion for protection come from? Um, 
I don't really know. I mean, look, from being a, a young boy, you know, longer than I can ever remember, I always wanted to be a police officer. Um, and, you know, that was kind of in my, my DNA. My, my uncle was a police officer, but I come from a family of butchers. Uh, you know, my father and my grandfather were both butchers. It was expected that I'd go into the family business, but I always wanted to be a police officer. Liked helping people, uh, liked protecting people, liked doing the right thing. And, you know, it's probably true of, of many protection officers. A good police officer makes a good protection officer. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, my first introduction to protection was in 2001 when I joined uh, Royalty Protection, as, as it was. And I was lucky enough to know a couple of people who I'd worked with as an as a ordinary police officer, you know, on the streets of London in, in Paddington and Harrow Road, who were in the department. So that was kind of my introduction to it. Um, and, and it was ironic, really, because, um, and I've still got this book, actually, I got a Ladybird book from 1981 from the then Prince of Wales and the you know, Princess of Wales marriage. And, you know, I remember looking at that and, and seeing the book, you know, that one of the chaps sat on the back of the carriage was a, was a police officer. And, and I ended up working with him, which was, which was quite yeah. interesting, you know, looking back on, on, that, on that little story. No, fantastic. No, and and I hope I hope many uh, of the uh, audience uh, can can resonate with that, um, even if even if they're not from uh, the police. Um, and 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 so, what about the people who are completely uninitiated? And by that, I'm thinking protectors in the world of protection who have never really thought about this challenge of transitioning, and I suppose those still in the police who are contemplating it, um, what, what, what should they really know? Um, what, about the transition or...? Yeah, about this transition, because I suppose they could be uh, kinder to their colleague that has been transitioning, um, and if they're going to transition, they'd be like, oh, well, what should, I, what should I think about? I think the first thing to consider, as I said earlier, is your CV. Um, it's mm. really easy to you know, to speak in police language, um, you know, say the thing, you know, it's, it's a language in itself. Um, you know, sometimes that doesn't transfer across to the private sector, unless somebody comes from that background. So it's de-policing your CV, I would think. You can say the same things, you just need to say them in different ways. Um, you, know, you can get help with that. You know, there's professional services around, I know. I, I didn't particularly do that. I mean, I just got somebody who was ex-police who's been in the private sector for a number of years to, to have a look at my CV, and, and he certainly helped me with that. That'd be my first piece of advice. Um, and then the second, I suppose, you know, again, a lot of jobs, as we all know, come on recommendations. Um, you know, you can, I've, I've thrown my hands in for some random things and, and got through to the, you know, the very final few. But generally throughout my career and throughout life, a lot of what you achieve is, is on recommendations. So, you know, it's doing the right thing, being good at what you do, getting a good name for yourself, um, you know, continual, uh, you know, personal and professional development. And, you know, all those things will definitely help. But, you know, life being as it is, a lot of things do come on recommendations from people who either known you before and work with you or those that know somebody who's worked with you. Uh, and on that, you know, you can take that two ways because, you know, throughout my career, um, I've worked with people who, who love me and both hate me. And um, what you're looking for is, is a fair appraisal of your, um, you know, your skills and, <laughs> and what you're actually like. So, so, so I guess... What has surprised you most within your current transition to the private sector? What, you know, what can you tell us about your current role and, and what's the biggest surprise? So I've, I've gone from uh, your police protection um, 
to the private security generally. So my current role is I'm employed uh, you know, by the Commonwealth Games, Birmingham 2022, and I'm the venue uh, security manager for the Alexander Stadium and the opening and closing ceremonies, um, including all the visiting VIPs. So that, that's the easy part because that's similar to what I used to do. And I'm working with my old colleagues from uh, RASP, Royalty and Specialist Protection. Um, but the thing that I really noticed, and I've noticed this you know, prior to my transition and when I had my own company, is the difference between private security and government provided security <clears throat> and when i say that uh, i'm not you know i'm not saying that you, know, you can have professional people across all all you know all walks all forms but certainly in the you know the police or the military world you know you can rely on individuals to do something now that might be because of their individual characteristics or it might be because, you know, there's, there's a fear of discipline at the end of it. So if, as you know, in a, in, a, in a police protection capacity, if I tell somebody to stand on a post or do something for a period of time until they're relieved, then I know that will be done. And the same is probably you know, relevant to the military as well. In the private sector, uh, and certainly some of the private, um, you know, security operations I've been involved in, not just in, in the Commonwealth Games, but you know, in, in my previous business life as well, you know, when it comes to the end of the day, when it comes to seven o'clock shift changeover, that's it. You know, and I'm not saying everybody, there's still a lot of, um, you know, integrity um, within that private sector. But, you know, some people will just literally walk off the post. They've been paid for that 12 hours, that's it, they're gone. And if they've not been relieved on time, they walk. And that's quite surprising to me because, you know, personally, that's not something I would do. And uh, it's not what I've, you know, experienced in, in, in my world before. So that's probably one of the, the starkest uh, differences. In, in you know police and, and private protection um, and also tra the transition for me I always say and I was always responsible for the last 10 feet and I've spent you know 20 odd years looking after uh, various ministers and, and members of the royal family I spent the last five years of my career looking after um, you know, the Prince of Wales and wherever I went I was you know the, the smallest ring of security in, a, in greater rings of exterior security, normally provided by some other body. And that might be the police, it might be private sector, it might be military, it could be a foreign agency, whatever that might be. But, you know, my responsibility was the last 10 feet, as I always used to say. Now, certainly in my current role, the Commonwealth Games, you know, I've got a, a stadium that's probably got a, um, you know, perimeter of something like, you know, two or three miles um, you know, with hundreds of CCTV cameras, hundreds of security officers, and I'm now responsible for that, those outer rings of security that I always used to enter. And I was always conscious of it, but I just don't think I understood the, you know, the magnitude of the, the operation, the greater operation, because I was more inwardly focused rather than, you know, externally focused. So, yeah, that's a big thing for me. It has been a big thing for me. It's great to hear you talk about your transition from the police into the private sector, and I, I hear some of the things you're talking about there, and I think, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And like you said, you know, the last 10 feet, that's what you considered your position when you were in the, working within the police, in the royalty protection. Mm. And it is, it's, it's a huge massive learning curve, isn't it, going from doing that <laughs> all the way up to, you know, c controlling all of these events. You know, you, you've been to these events previously, and you focused on, you, you know, you've done your advance, you've, oh, you've sent someone there, you know exactly what you're doing, but when you're controlling the different layers, which could be different companies, it could be different standards of training for each of these individuals, and, and there's so many cogs that can go wrong 
when you were just focused on your principal previously, it, it is it's um yeah. it is a huge learning curve coming yeah. into the, the private sector. <laughs> um so, so going back to CP anyway, what, what do you think the ideal background of a protector is if, if they're not from the police or the military? Do you think there's common character traits or a, a common theme that a good protector should have? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've often said, and I've, I've been involved in, in police training, um, you know, not, not just close protection, but general training as well, uh, you know, conflict management, uh, recruit training. So I've got a training background going back, you know, 25 years. Um, working in, in, in the police, I always used to say, if you're a good police officer, then you can be a good protection officer. Uh, and, you know, the, the police officer bit isn't particularly relevant. It's about, you know, just being a good communicator, um, having that, that ability to interpret situations. Um, you know, and, I, and I've worked with people, you know, there's always people, you know, I, I watch these debates all the time about, you know, do you need to be, um, you know, incredibly fit? Do you need to be the best shot? Do you need to be the best, um, you know, martial art, whatever it might be. And I think really you want, you want an amalgamation of, of all those things, you know, kind of jack of all, master of none. I've worked with, with lots of people who might be the best shot in the world, but they can't talk to people. Um, I've worked with people who might be highly proficient in, uh, you, know, you know, boxing, martial arts, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, whatever it might be. But when someone's pointing a gun at you, um, or they've got a knife, then, you know, those skills can be quite irrelevant. Uh, but what will always get you out of trouble is, is your head and your mouth, um, you know, because you can always be, you know, outnumbered. Um, you, know, you can always be overcome by, you know, people who've got an ability. Uh, you know, they've got access to more weapons than you've got, whatever it might be, wherever you are in the world. Um, you know, and I've, I've been lucky enough in my work to work in over 50 countries across the world, from war zones, failed states, Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia. And I can think of situations that I've been in when it doesn't matter what your close protection skills are. The thing that's got me and our teams out of trouble is your ability to think on your feet, not to offend people, to communicate well. Um, you know, so I think those traits are very, very important. And anyone who thinks they can rely on their fists or a gun uh, you know, to manage the way of any close protection, uh, you know, conundrum or, or, or event is probably not the right person. Well, it won't be the right person for my team. I'd much rather have somebody who can think on the feet uh, and might not be the, uh, the best shot in the world or the strongest individual, but, mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to get me into a lot of trouble. And no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean we, we have different backgrounds. You're ex-police, I'm from the military, but... It's, it's an accumulation of skills. And, and what I find is, you know, people be great at one thing. They might be not so great at another, but I, th I think what people need to be, to be a good protector, they need to be dedicated to the craft, you know, and applying themselves, you, you know, people who get up and, I don't know, they've got to get up and go, you know, they keep themselves in shape. They study, they, you know, they further develop them. Absolutely. So I think all of these accumulation of a lot of things yeah. Um, and fitness is important. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not decrying that in any, any way, you know, it is important. You have to be able to, um, you know, look after yourself. You have to be able to look after your principal. You've got to be realistic in that. And, you know, certainly in the police, I, I've worked with people who, you know, I retired, I retired at 30 years. I made my decision. I was going to go um, at, at 30 years. Luckily for me, that was at age 49. You know, I'm still, you know, touch wood, not in, in, in too much of a bad shape, but, I have worked with people in close protection who others might look at and say, well, you know, you're clearly well past your prime. 
and probably physically they have been but you know for experience um and you know knowledge and their abilities to communicate and manage people and get what they want you know they are very very good and it's got to be a blend of all those things i think sean like you said you know um, fitness is very important you've got to be fit you know if you're doing protection at 60 years old then you've got to have an element of fitness but yeah an amalgamation of all those things I think is very very important rather than just relying on on one or two aspects absolutely and I like that because that that plays into de-escalation and um I think oh, we oh, a few episodes ago we had uh, Joe Saunders with a chapter of his book judo skills uh, pay the bills but also verbal judo um mm, which absolutely which, which I think is interesting yeah um, is, is that a myth? <laughs> I do like that analogy actually I, I you know when I was a younger police officer and you know I used to wrestle um, that was my sport and uh, you know I wrestled for the police I was the you know police national champion um you know in the 90s uh, my way and I you know I was quite happily I'd quite happily have a roll around with people that you know because it, it, it and I did self-defense and I did the conflict management um but as I got older um and certainly as I managed teams I used to find it more of a challenge talking somebody down um and I can think of an occasion just a couple of weeks ago when um, we had somebody uh, barge past the security um, at the stadium and, and just by chance I was walking through the site with one of the the police officers uh, who, who I've been working closely with from West Midlands Police and we ended up challenging this individual now clearly you know I looked at him and I thought you know, this is the man who's who's um, you know quite capable in his abilities uh, and I actually had a rucksack on I remember I actually took it off because I thought we are going to end up rolling around with this guy um, and in the end you know you know, he clearly spent some time in prison. Uh, you know, he was quite happy to tell us that he wasn't even when police challenged him, said, I don't, I don't give a, a damn who you are, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I really did think that was going to end badly. But, you know, again, using my skills that I've gained over the years, managed to talk him down, uh, walked out with him and he shook my hand in the end, you know, um, told me his name, you know, I told him mine, said, you can't come through. You know, he wanted to walk uh, right through the park, the distance is always done. I suspect there was probably some mental illness in there as well. But, you know, it was a situation that years ago, I know I would have ended up rolling around with that guy, but experience tells you, you know, one, one I'm going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt, who's, who's the real winner? You know, we can both walk away from this and um, carry on with our normal days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, that's, that's, that's quite a stark uh, example. And, 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 I, and I guess those verbal judo skills that police are famed for really do translate. Um, yeah, and, and, and absolutely. People should go. Yeah. Um, and just one other example why I think of it. Um, a, a few years ago, again, I was involved in conflict management. I remember when the SIA came into the being and I was doing some door supervisor training. And quite rightly, one of the chaps said to me, well, you know, have you ever worked the door? And I said, well, I've not. And he said, well, so you're here telling us about, you know, this SIA um, qualification, you know, and, you know, what can you tell us about it? And I said, no, quite right. So I've never worked the door. I, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this, I'm teaching you conflict management. You know, this is a skill in itself. Um, and then all of a sudden it came to me and I said to him, uh, I said, so what do you do when, when you can't manage it on the door? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, when it's gone wrong and it's, in, you, know, you know, the door supervi- uh, supervisor overwhelmed or the situation's gone out of control, what do you do? And he said, well, I phoned the police. And I said, yeah, and that's me. And I said, and what do you expect me to do when I come? So, you know, he laughed and he said, good point. Um, and, you know, it just reinforced it that you don't have to be or have to have an understanding of that specific skill, but just that generic skill set of conflict management, um, you know, can help. And ultimately, you know, as a cop, I've been involved in a lot of situations where you really are the last you know, person who's called in to, 
resolve it. Um, and, you know, I have to say over my career, thankfully, I've managed to do that mostly without injury. And I, and I guess, you know, one of the big parallels people like to make is I used to have lots of people on tap or I had a, a, a large budget. And, and now I'm on my own and I don't have all these people uh, to call. So we know we know we know yeah. that. Right. We, we, we're prepared for that. But uh, what uh, skills beyond the verbal judo skills, um, what lessons do police protection officers have for the private sector? Um, I mean, I, I know it's different and I know people say, oh, you have to de-police uh, your, your, your CV and this and this. But, but what can you bring? Is, is it an air of gravitas? <laughs> I don't know. What is, what is that, 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 that police uh, thing that is appealing for the private sector? Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. You can tap into a number of resources. You know, if I wanted, you know, a, a building searched or I wanted a helicopter to oversee it, whatever it was generally, you know, certainly, if, you know, in, the, in the, the field I was working in, then I, I could get those assets. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with and I've had experience of, you know, private uh, close protection. And, of course, you know, you turn up, and there when you say, right, yeah, I've had a little look at security, I've reviewed it, and, you know, I think we need an advance, I think we need, uh, you know, some residential security, uh, with like a specific driver, I'm going to sit in the front seat and you are going to sit in the back, and then the client, principal says, no, that's not how it works, uh, I'm going to pay you, uh, you're going to get this a day, and no, I don't want all those people, and just make it work, so, um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing again transition wise as, as a police officer you kind of look at threat and risk and think this is what we need to mitigate that um when you work in the private sector somebody says that's your budget that's how i want it to be done um and you, you know you kind of you kind of left with that now sometimes that does work in the police as well because there's a number of principles you've had protection for a long long time if you get a new minister then you can you know just teach them you can um you know cajole them into the way that you want it to be done. But if, if you're turning up on a team and that person's had protection maybe a role for a long, long time, then you kind of have to fall into how it works for them. Uh, again, this is down to relationships. So, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, but you've got a good relationship with your principal, you've got a good relationship with private offices and staff. Um, it doesn't work for everybody. Sometimes, you know, there's that natural fix. Sometimes there's not. Um, yeah, I think overall, I mean, I've, I've worked with some really good private um, close protection officers, really good. Uh, and they've probably come from backgrounds where they've been involved in dealing with conflict. They've been involved in uh, jobs that involve an awful lot of communication. Um, and I tend to find those people are probably better. They might have worked in the job centre where they've had to deal with, you know, angry people banging the desk or and talk them down, knowing that they've not got anybody else in the job centre that's going to help resolve that situation. They've got to do it themselves. Um, and they might not, you know, might not the build. They might not be the, uh, the type of person who, who thinks they can, you know, confront that individual. So they've got to use the mouth. They've got to use the brain. And it comes back to what I've said before. Most of security, most of protection is about using your brain and, and using your mouth and communications because I love that phrase. Uh, ver was it verbal? Verbal judo skills. Yeah, yeah. So he had a chapter: yeah. judo skills pay the bills. But then he plays on yeah. verbal judo, and I like um, that. and you know, I think I think we see we see videos online of it being employed, and you know, it's um, it certainly it seems to be the uh, de-escalation skill. 
absolutely and no, i do like that phrase it, you know it's it it does resonate with me and it yeah i do like it. i think i'll be using that one in the future <laughs> very good very good boy it's not it's not mine it's not ours so um <laughs> feel free i'm happily credit the person who said it <laughs> very good um so looking looking forward and a little bit of futurology. I know you've very kindly previously spoken at the CP Tech Forum that we do <clears throat> each January. Yes. The premise behind it is, you know, what tech is coming down the line for protectors to use. Um, we we haven't really gone as far to say what tech is replacing protectors, and I know I get fan mail for that every time I say that. We don't we don't go there, mm-hmm. uh, but but certainly to augment their work, lots of threat intel things. Um, what Given that you've worked in the public sector, um, what do you think is next coming down the line? Assuming that that's the way the conveyor belt of technology works, first in the public sector and then the private sector gets it. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on technology to augment the protector coming down the line? Um, I think I've said it you know, at, at, the, at the forum. Um, you know, I'm, I think it's a blend of both. Um, we're never going to get away from the fact that you need to have somebody on the shoulder of somebody uh, to protect them. That's thousands of years old. And I don't really see that disappearing um, because, you know, that's the most fundamental part, you know, responsible for that last 10 feet. Most attacks are going to come in physical form. You see them, you know, you might be able to to, uh, negate them through, you know, good intelligence, good use of um, open source materials. But ultimately, you've got to stop that person getting near the person you're protecting um, you know, if, if they're intent on doing them any harm, but then you look at the news, and you know, only just recently you look at, um, you know, Al Zawahiri um, in in Kabul, and you think one of these, you know, hellfire uh, ninja missiles comes out of the sky, and and just wipes him out. Now, you know, that just shows how far technology can go. I mean, historically, we'd be looking at somebody who might want to plant a bomb to assassinate somebody. They're going to use a gun. They're going to use a knife. Whatever they might be, it's normally close quarters. But now we're seeing technology that can obliterate somebody from, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles away, maybe. Now, if you are, you know, Al-Zahiri's bodyguards, how do you mitigate against that? You know, it's virtually impossible. So we are moving into, into very, very different times now. Historically, they'd have been, you know, putting in some residential security. They might have had some, you know, people around, you know, playing clothes, you know, getting intelligence in the area. But you know, that will never, ever negate this, this new technology. So that's one thing that, you know, I wasn't aware of certainly a couple of months ago when we were talking about this. Um, but generally speaking, I think that blend of, of you know, physical and, 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 the, and the virtual stuff, there's so much in, information out there these days. It's really, really hard to drill into what's, uh, what you actually need you know, unless it's real raw intelligence where, where you know, that's been, um, you know, it's been looked through, it's been uh, graded, you, you know, you could, if you're looking after, let's say, for example, you know, Elton John in the private sector, you know, you Google Elton John and, you know, he's going to have lots of people who are saying things about him on the internet. How do you find out all that information that's relevant? I think it's really important, you know, certainly and this is one thing that maybe the private sector can learn from, um, you know, the, the policing world, is you know having databases you know it's, it's common knowledge it's on the internet it's open source but you know this kind of fixated individual uh, database you know maybe that should come across to the private sector is something i've thought of myself um because you know through all that 
you know, when you do look back, you look at the inquiry, you work back, which you can see generally there's a pattern of communications uh, and certainly technology can help that these days. I think I look back to you know, the assassination of Spencer Percival um, in 1812, I think it was, uh, the prime minister. And, you know, even then I said, well, you know, what, what, you know, hostile reconnaissance would somebody have done in that, that time. And I think even the inquiry then looked back, there's no photographs, there's no newspapers. So how did, how did, um, you know, uh, Bellingham know he was going to assassinate the prime minister? He had to go to parliament. He had to ask people around which one's the prime minister because he didn't know what he looked like. So come the inquiry, people go, oh yeah, that chap was around asking. Um, so yes, we can do that on the internet now. We can do it, you know, in that medium. But also, you know, there's, People are still employing the old-fashioned techniques, you know, of hostile reconnaissance. But again, I and mean, then this is another thing for me. I, it used to annoy me when I'd see my teams on television, um, you know, or they didn't quite do something right. We, we might give up on a certain aspect. And of course, well, I'll give you an example. Um, years ago, I did a, um, a an event and the person I was looking after didn't want me to open the door uh, because they didn't want to appear presidential, but I knew that was going to be on television. So I said, well, I understand that. I get that, but this is how it will work for me. We'll arrive at the venue. I'll get out of the car. I'll have a look at look around. And if I'm happy, I'll give you a little nod and you can get out of the car yourself. Now that way, when that's been watched on TV, at least anyone doing the hostile reconnaissance can think, ah, you know, the police are doing it properly. I know another colleague of mine who had the same scenario. Um, he pulled up, it was televised. He sat in the car in the front seat. The principal got out into the public. And of course, there were other assets around, but it just looked wrong. Um, and I think that's the important thing. Is you know, you've got to be seen to be doing your job properly as well, because years ago, people would have to stand on the pavement and watch you do it. Now they can watch you do it on you know, YouTube, Instagram, the BBC News, Sky, whatever. So, yeah, technology can work with you and it can also work against you. Yeah, and that, <clears throat> that's that's negotiation as well. That's that's uh, managing your principle and managing absolutely. your Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The uh, the the the, uh, the the department of yes, but <laughs> uh, there's a lot of grey in protection. It's not it's not black and white. There's you know we were always working in shades of grey, and it is negotiating, you know. And again, negotiating with the principal said, I understand what you're saying, but you know. Again, in, in 20 years of protection, I'm, I'm quite proud. I've never, ever said no to a principal. Um, and there's been a couple of hairy moments, uh, you know, particularly abroad when a principal's wanted to do something. There's always a common ground. There's always a negotiation. There's always a compromise. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, you know, again, those skills coming out, communication, compromise. Um, yeah. yeah uh, I think we had someone on uh, a few months ago. The the only scenario anyone seems to concretely agree the is no is when they want to go potholing. <laughs> That's no, no, no. But, well, I've uh, done that myself. I've never done it with the principal. I've done some other random stuff, but yeah, there's always a way. <laughs> ah, perfect. Well, what's what's next for you? And uh, you know, are you are you starting to mentor, write? Um, do you know do 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 some 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 things on the academic side or 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 are you firmly in the private sector now? Um, I mean, I have I've done like I said I've been involved in teaching. I used to teach at the uh, uh, College of Policing on on security uh, on certainly on the close protection side. I've done it in the police. I've done it outside the police. So yeah, I've, I, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy um, you know passing on um, on you know the experiences, the knowledge that I've got. 
it's something I will do into the future as well. Um, writing, people always say, oh, you're going to do a book and all this sort of stuff. You know, it's, it's, I don't really think I've got the time. I mean, I've got plenty of interesting, you know, anecdotes and stories. But, um, yeah, I think if I did something, it would be factual. Um, so, yeah, but from here on, I mean, my contract with the Commonwealth Games ends in well, about a week's time, I think, um, just over a week. So I've got a little bit of work, some some jobs that will probably take me up to about November time and then, I'll probably take a little bit of time off because I've, I've worked for 30 years. I had a week off before I started this job. So, yeah. But, no, I'm definitely firmly involved uh, and integrated into the, the, the close protection sector, both police and private. And, yeah, looking for work. So if anyone's got anything for me out there, I'll happily consider. Um, but, yeah, I, I would like very much so to be involved in, in, in you know, the professional development as we continue. I was involved in some of the consultative groups skills for security, you know, the SIA, the Close Protection Forum, things like that. A few years ago, maybe I've got some more time to get involved in things like that. I'm very much for professional standards and, you know, maintaining the, the levels that should be involved in the, you know, the security world. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, great news. I, 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 mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel that's, that's a really uh, good thing to have. Um, uh, Sean, any, anything, anything more for for Scott? Uh, we've uh, we've run down, we've no, run down the it, clock. It, it's been great listening to you, actually, Scott. I, I love hearing the transition from people uh, military to private sector, police to private sector. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's great listening to your story. It's great that you're looking to put back into the industry, and you know, so that people can learn from your experiences, and you know, you teach people what you've learned. And I, I always find. You know, I was picked up on your story about the door supervisor. I thought that was fascinating as well. You know, who do you call when this spirals out of control? What we call yeah. the police. You know, and it's, yeah. it's just you're at a level or you, you've trained to a level and delivered at a level that's beyond you know, a door supervision license or whatever. I, I always find, personally myself as well, if I was going to do a door supervisor course, I'd sit, you'd learn from them because they do that every day. And mm. I know guys that work full-time in the CP sector, but they actually purposely go and do door supervision. I asked them, one guy I know really well, I said, you know, you're on a full-time CP gig, you're really well paid. Why do you go to do these extra, all these extra shifts? And he says, I like to do so many shifts on the doors or at events. And it wasn't the top of money, he says, because it keeps me sharp in, mm, yeah. you're using your communication skills, you, you know, your, your situational awareness. He says, Absolutely. I like to do it. And yeah. he says, that's why I do it. And um, so even though he's delivering at this level. I mean, sure. you've just reminded me, um, if we've got you know, time, I'm, I know I've got to get on this 10 o'clock, but it's definitely a good story when it comes to conflict management. And it's true. I did a, um, I think it was an 1886 City and Guilds uh, you know, conflict management course a good number of years ago. And I remember talking to this chap, I remember his name, he was John, he was from the North East, he worked the doors. And he was telling me, he'd worked the doors for a number of years. He said, I've never been assaulted. And I said, I don't believe you work in Newcastle and you've never been. As-. He said, no. Uh, and I said, I want to hear this story. And he told me that if people came to the door and, you know, they had trainers on, you know, he'd, he'd always take, he'd always give something back. So, you know, the, the story would go, somebody came to the door, sorry, mate, you're not loading tonight, you know, no trainers. And of course, they've had a few beers, they're upset, blah, blah, blah. He said, look, it's not a problem. Here's my card. He said, next week you come in, you walk to the front of the queue, you ask for me, yeah, and I'll get you in. 
So straight away he's taken the, the you know, the, the anger out of the situation, he's given somebody a way out. And I think this is really important. You know, you've always, when people are angry, you've got to give them an escape avenue that's, you know, mutually beneficial. Again, if somebody didn't have a tie, he'd have a tie in his pocket rather than say, um, you know, there was always something he greeted. And this is what I, this is what I look for in security. And I've seen, there's a great chap working with me. I won't, I won't name him by embarrassing him. Um, but he well, he's a door supervisor as well. He's working on one of my sites within the stadium. And I moved him because I said, you know, you're wasted in the position you're in. I want you front of house. He's smart. He, you know, he, he's, he's definitely got presence. He works the doors in Birmingham, but he, he knows everybody. Going back to John's store in Newcastle, he would individually speak to everybody coming to that club. He's got eye contact with them. He's said hello. You know, he's solved some of the problems he might have. And when it kicked off, as inevitably it will in a, in a Newcastle nightclub, you know, after a certain period of time, when everyone's got a few beers inside them, he'd go in. And of course, somebody would pick up bottles and he said he'd seen it. They'd literally pick a bottle up and somebody in the crowd would say, no, not him, leave him alone. And that's because he'd made... Um, an introduction, he made that connection with people. So they had something, they had a relationship already. And that, you know, from my, that's what I learned in that 1886 course uh, was, you know, that ability, that communication that he, you know, ensured every single time with every interaction kept him safe. You know, 20 years working the doors in Newcastle and never yeah. been uh, serious. That's something, that's ongoing. Yeah, really. I mean, I mean like, that's <laughs> just oozing experience. It's yeah. giving respect. And you get yeah. that respect back. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. No. So thanks, gentlemen. Really appreciate the, uh, you know, the opportunity and the time. I'm more than happy to do something for you in the future. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much, uh, Scott. From Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. What a wealth of experience and great to hear some really good case studies. Uh, of course, with someone with such a career, you're always wondering, how far can I ask? You know, how much can I ask? Um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm grateful for, uh, you know, Scott uh, supporting uh, this topic. And, and of course, he said at the end, you know, he is willing to reach out. He is looking to forge a new path in the private sector. So, yes, I suppose the point of this uh, podcast is to help elaborate on that transition from police to the private sector. But since it's live and in motion, I think this is a good juncture to sort of bring um, you know, people together as well. Uh, what, what have you taken away from today's session, Sean? I think everyone can take something away from that. And certainly for them, people looking to transition from military or police, you know, to, to listen to how Scott's done it, how he's moved into the sector, what he's doing now. And, you know, I think for any employer, uh, you know, he, he's just touted himself out. We've got a great guy there, huge experience, who is going to become available. Who wouldn't want to use that guy on the team to teach the team, deliver the lessons he's learned over a, you know, a sterling career. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure someone will be in touch with Scott after this. And um, I'm sure there'll be many people in touch. Great guy. Love it. Well, yeah, please do, please do reach out. And 
yeah if 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 this story resonates with you let's you know have you you know comment uh on the bba connect app or the naba uh, protector app uh, because i think i think we've really struck a chord um something that relates to to to, to a lot of us um uh, so, uh, actually, on that note, I know we've just done a few major upgrades on the BBA Connect app and the NABA uh, Protect app, so you should notice some uh, distinct improvements. Um, now, uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful to everyone who you know continues to comment and post and, and put, put motivational uh, you know things up there. Um, in, in addition to that, I, I know that the community is uh, waking up from summer a little bit and starting lots of different events. Uh, our, our colleague Elijah, of course, is running his course uh, in, a, in, in a few months. Um, I will see at least a few BBA members over in Phoenix, uh, as well as, of course, some NABA members, because I'm running the sixth annual uh, Physical Cyber Convergence Forum in Phoenix on the 18th of August. So you know who you are, but you're, you're flying all the way out there. And I think that's a nice cross-pollination between the associations as well. Um, so, so, so definitely looking forward to that. Um, uh, on your side, Sean, what have, what have you got coming up? What have, uh, you know, our asks of the community, perhaps relating to the magazine? Same as always, we have the latest issue of the Circuit Magazine coming up, coming to you shortly. Um, still looking for articles for this and future issues of the magazine. We're looking for anyone who's interested in appearing on the podcast and our members would love to hear from you, our listeners. And for myself personally, um, a, lot, a lot of travel coming up. Um, new times for me as well, also. Subcontracting from other security companies now as well, as carrying out my own work. Um, it's great getting myself out there and working with different teams now, which I haven't done for a long time. But it's, it's great meeting new people in the industry and, and growing that network further. But good. Well, keep, keep all the comments coming. Keep uh, the reposts uh, of the podcast coming because that, of course, spreads the word and grows the community. Uh, but, uh, you know, wonderful to finally have Scott on. I know Scott has joined uh, a number of our forums for a number of years. And uh, now, you know, he has, of course, more sort of ability, leeway to, uh, you know, elaborate on skills. Uh, I know we joked about judo skills, pay the bills and verbal judo skills. Uh, which, which I'm sure will, uh, you know, hark back to a few different episodes. Good. So transitioning from the police to the private sector in EP, what an important topic, what a crucial topic. Let's uh, give uh, Scott Hamer a virtual round of applause. And uh, from Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.